We're just reading from Luke chapter 18, verse 35. As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging, and hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth was passing by, and he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me, re- let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight, your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was chief tax collector and was rich, and he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled. He was gone in to be, he was gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Thanks, Peyton. It's uh, good to be here again. I don't, uh, I don't get to be here as often as I'd like because all these other churches keep on putting pressure on me to preach there. So, um, so it's lovely to be able to preach here, and it's really wonderful. Let's just pray together. Father God, we come in the name of Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, and we place ourselves, Lord Jesus, under your authority and under your covering, and we ask, Holy Spirit, that your word would bless us, that we might see Jesus, that we might know him better, Bless us, we pray, in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. You know, 12 years ago, I was returning from the Alfred Hospital where my wife, Chitska, had just had her pancreas removed, which is pretty major surgery. And, uh, and it sort of had a huge impact on our lifestyle. And uh, it was late at night. I was driving home. It was a Saturday night. I had to preach the next morning. And uh, I was pretty tired switched on the radio I thought uh, I'll listen to something good on the radio but unfortunately when I switched on the ABC it was playing the remnants of a footy match (laughs) and I thought no I'm a Geelong supporter and football at that time was very depressing for me (laughs) it's not this year it might be if you're a different supporter and uh, so I switched over to Radio National and uh, I was listening to Radio National and this guy called John Tavener came on. And John Tavener is an English composer. And he was telling about when he journeyed through Greece. He said, I spent six months just journeying through Greece. 
And he said, I was fascinated by something that all the Greek people did. He said, every morning when they got up and every time they ate a meal, they would say this particular prayer and they called it the Jesus Prayer. And it was very simple. It went like this, Jesus, Son of God, or Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And he said, I decided, that, decided to compose a musical work around those words of the Jesus prayer. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And he said, I spent ages trying to find the right singer to sing this song. And finally, he said, I, I realized that the person to sing this song would be no other than Bjork. I don't know if you've ever heard this song. It's a Amazing song. Not one of my favourite singers, and uh, I'm not even sure that she can sing all that well. I mean, I can't carry a tune. Somebody in Box Hill Church said to me one day, I was preaching, and they said, Pastor Keith, um, I heard you sing. And that's why I always ask the, the music people to make sure they turn me off during the singing, <laughs> be on the radio. And I said, Really? She said, I said, why? She said, because then I could have turned you off. <laughs> well, I've never thought that I was a good singer, so it didn't bother me too much. But you, Bjork, if you hear her sing, she's got this gravelly voice. But then he started playing this composition. And what she did is she sang the words of this Jesus prayer in about five different languages. In English and five other languages. I can't remember what the languages were. And as I was driving home listening to these words, the tears just started flowing from my eyes. It was so powerful. Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Being Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. And I got home and I thought, I want to know more about this Jesus prayer. So I opened up my concordance and I looked at all the instances at which this prayer was prayed. And I was fascinated. That every single time anybody prayed this prayer, Jesus heard them. It's an incredibly powerful prayer. It didn't matter if you were a Samaritan woman or somebody who wasn't liked by anybody else. When you prayed this prayer, in the end, God heard it. And here we have it again. Here in Luke chapter 18, it says, As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the road begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The Jesus prayer. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now you need to know a little bit about beggars to really understand what's going on here. I don't know if you realise, but begging in the New Testament times was quite a quite a, a good profession you know we think of beggars as being poor beggars but actually you'll find that a lot of beggars do quite well better than you think and this is true in the new testament you know in matthew chapter 6 verse 2 there's a little reference to begging there and you'll begin to understand how beggars actually worked by begging and what happened then was that um, pharisees and other religious leaders and the pious would use them to demonstrate how generous they were. And you'll discover that when you read that beggars nearly always were at the entrance to the temple or to synagogues or in the middle of a town. 
somewhere prominent. And Jesus says, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. And in verse 2 he says, so when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honoured by men. Don't announce it with trumpets. You see, that's what they did. Here's a beggar sitting in the middle of town or in front of the synagogue and here's a, here's a Pharisee, a rich with him. And they start blowing their trumpets. Doot, 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 doot. I need to ask Johan what sound a trumpet makes because I've got no idea. But, um, but they, they blow their trumpets so that a crowd begins to gather. And when enough people are watching, they take out their money and they hand it to the beggar. You see, the beggar was fulfilling a service. The beggar was enabling people to demonstrate how generous they were, that they were alms givers. But there's a problem here because this particular beggar isn't in the city. He's not in Jericho. And this is where we have to look very carefully at these stories to look at the details. It says there, as Jesus entered Jericho, approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside. Why was this blind man sitting by the roadside outside of Jericho? Well, we get the answer when we look at a parallel passage and we discover that his name was actually Bartimaeus. And Kenneth Bailey in his book, Jesus Through Middle East Nice, he says Bartimaeus has a specific meaning. The name Bartimaeus actually means son of filth. Now, it doesn't need much imagination to realise what's going on here. Why was Bartimaeus blind? Probably because his mother had a venereal disease, syphilis. And babies born of mothers with syphilis are often born blind. That means his mother was most likely a prostitute. And so he was given the name Son of Filth. Now, there's no way that a Pharisee wanted to give this Son of Filth arms in front of the people. He was driven out of the city. He wasn't in Jericho. He wasn't allowed to sit in front of the, the temple, or in front of the, the synagogue. He had to be outside Jericho. And he's by the roadside begging. And there he is. And the crowd could see him sitting there. And you can imagine all the people with Jesus would have been nudging Jesus to just make a bit of a detour around this guy. Who wants to be anywhere close to the son of filth? But he starts yelling. He asks somebody who's going by. And they say, it's Jesus of Nazareth. So he starts calling out. He utters out the Jesus prayer louder and louder. And the more they tell him to stop saying this, the more they try to shush him up because they don't want Jesus to be anywhere near him. The louder he cries out, Jesus, son of David, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. The Jesus prayer. And Jesus stops. Now, the crowd really don't want him to be anywhere near Bartimaeus, near this son of filth. But it doesn't matter to Jesus. He doesn't care. He stops and have a look at what Jesus does. It's beautiful when you see what Jesus does. He does this in verse 38. It says, he called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. And ordered the man to be brought to him. And when he came near, Jesus asked him, What do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said, Receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. And when all the people 
saw this, they also praised God. He was healed. You know, it fascinates me that Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? Because Jesus was aware that beggars earned a reasonable living and the moment that he didn't have a disability, he wouldn't be able to beg anymore. He'd have to go out and work. So Jesus is saying, you're really sure you want to give up this way of life? And this man says, yes, I just want to see. And this man was determined to follow Jesus, determined to follow Jesus. Because Jesus had responded to his prayer, the Jesus prayer, the prayer of the heart. But you know, this isn't just one story. There are two stories here, and I believe they belong together. Because, you see, Jesus then enters Jericho in chapter 19, and he passes through Jericho. So Bartimaeus is on one side of Jericho. He passes through Jericho, and there was a man there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. Zacchaeus, chief tax collector. Don't know if you know much about chief tax collectors, but they were the worst of the worst. In other words, he was the one who organized all the tax collectors in the region to be traitors to the Jewish people. Because they took money from people on behalf of the Roman conquerors. If you were a tax collector, you were, you were out. Nobody wanted to know you. And here's a guy, he's a chief tax collector. And obviously he's not liked at all. He's not loved even one little bit. He's hated. Because this short little tax collector, Jesus, but he, but he can't. And then he does something incredibly stupid. What he does, he climbs up into a sycamore fig tree. Well, for a start, in Middle Eastern culture, no man ever climbs a tree. You know, boys might climb trees, but men don't climb trees. Not in Middle Eastern culture. It's unheard of. But something worse is going on. Do you know that the sycamore fig tree was an illegal tree? It was a bad tree. And the reason it was a bad tree was because the Pharisees said it was a bad tree. The Pharisees actually had a law that said that no sycamore fig tree could be planted within the boundaries of any Jewish city. And you think, why do they have that law? No sycamore fig tree could be planted within the boundaries of a Jewish city. And the reason was this. The sycamore, the sycamore fig tree had such a dense canopy, such thick foliage, that it acted like a shelter, like a roof. And wherever there was a sycamore fig tree growing, underneath that, the prostitutes, the drunkards, those who had nowhere to live, the unclean. So wherever there was a sycamore fig tree, it would be populated by all these homeless people living underneath it because it was the one place where they could stay dry. It was like a, a house for disreputable people. And so the Jewish people said, there's no way on earth... We will allow, or the Pharisees said, we will not allow these trees in our city because we don't want these people in our city. What does Zacchaeus do? He climbs into the sycamore fig tree. You know, he was signing his own death warrant because the moment that he climbed into that sycamore fig tree, he was declaring publicly that he was unclean. He was identified with the rejected, with the outcasts. They would have had every reason to drag him out of that tree and stone him to death. 
because he was an unclean person. He completely betrayed his Jewish heritage. But look at what Jesus does. Jesus actually saves his life because he stops beneath the sycamore fig tree and he looks up and he says, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. I must stay at your house today. In the Middle East, when you ask to stay at someone's house, then you place themselves under your protection and you are placed under their protection. Hospital, powerful thing. You know, I um, was travelling home once and, uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about this girl a bit later on, but her father was very grateful to me and he was of Middle Eastern origin and he wanted me to come for lunch. And uh, I had sort of not quite remembered that I was going to his place for lunch. And I had a meeting in the city and I think it was about 2 o'clock in the afternoon. He rang me and he said, oh, are you still coming for lunch, Keith? And I thought, oh, flip, I've forgotten. And uh, so I went to his house for lunch and he had 12 courses of food set out for me. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, he's Middle Eastern and... I will offend him if I don't eat the food that is set in front of me. I'll tell you what, 12 quid, but I had to be very grateful. <laughs> and I began to realise, I did a bit of study on Middle Eastern hospitality and I realised Middle Eastern hospitality is powerful. When Jesus said, Zacchaeus, come down, I'm going to eat your house tonight, today, he saved Zacchaeus' life because there was no way on earth that anybody would touch Zacchaeus. They wouldn't touch Zacchaeus, not if he was under the protection of Jesus, not if Jesus was eating at his house. And of course, Zacchaeus is completely transformed. He, he wants to give away all his money. Nobody has ever accepted him that way. It's an amazing thing. You know, I think people of the city of Jericho who went out with Jesus outside the city, and they would have been absolutely astounded <coughs> Excuse me, that Jesus would have stopped and talked to this man let alone invite himself to dinner at his house. But Jesus didn't care. And I look at these two passages and I look at these things that happened on the outskirts of Jericho and it tells me it doesn't matter to Jesus who you are. It doesn't matter if you're the son of filth begging outside the city by the roadside. It doesn't matter if you're a corrupt official who has climbed into an unclean tree and made himself a pariah. What Jesus is saying is that not a single person who is outside of my reach. You can't fall so low, says Jesus, that I don't love you and I can't reach you. You know, I was talking to about this Middle Eastern father and the reason why he was so grateful was because of his daughter Chrissy. And his daughter Chrissy was a drug addict in St Kilda. And one day a taxi rolled up in front of our church. Was, we were having an evening service and a taxi rolled up, which is pretty unusual. And this woman got out and uh, we got to know her. Her name was Chrissy. And uh, she said, I, I, I really wanted to come to church. And I said, why did you want to come to church? She said, well, I had this experience. And she'd grown up in sort of like an Orthodox family, Middle Eastern, Orthodox Christian family, Middle Eastern family. She said, I had this experience. She said... I was in St Kilda, it was pouring rain, I had a shot of heroin but it was something wrong with the heroin and she said I was lying in the gutter 
And she said the, the, the water was just sort of washing past me and I'm lying there. And she said, suddenly, someone spoke to me. And I said, what do you mean someone spoke to you? She said, suddenly I heard a voice say, Chrissy. And she said, I knew that it was Jesus. I said, what did Jesus say to you? And she said, he just said, Chrissy, I love you. I love you. <coughs> you know, that's amazing. Did Jesus say, Chrissy, I want you to get up and kick your habit and straighten out your life? No. He just said, Chrissy, I love you. And when I heard that, I knew that that was true. It motivated her to start coming to church. We ended up getting into, into rehabilitation and uh, she ended up having to go interstate to get into rehabilitation. As far as I know, she's still doing really, really well. But I know it's true because I'd heard that sort of story before. Do any of you remember Don Francisco? You've probably got to be pretty old to remember him. Um, you know, he's way back from probably the 70s. Fantastic songs that he sang. But I remember going to his first concert in, uh, that he held in Melbourne. I think it was in the late 70s. And he tells his story. He said he grew up in a Christian home. And he said, my parents were, were Bible-believing Christians. But he said, I left home and I went to, uh, uh, I forget where he went to, but wherever they played their music, I think it was Nashville. And he said, I got into the, everything that the rock and roll world offered. He said, I got into sex and drugs and drinking, everything. And he said, my life just spiraled downhill. And he said, I got to the point where I was sitting in my motel room one night and I was thinking, this is no good. I'm going to have to end it. He said, I was actively contemplating doing away with myself. And he said, suddenly I heard a voice. And he said, Jesus spoke to me. And Jesus said, Don, I love you. I love you. The same words that he said to Chrissy. Didn't rebuke him. Didn't tell him off. He simply said, I love you. Blind Bartimaeus, he must have thought to him, and say to me. But Jesus of Nazareth calls him over and says, what do you want? I want to see and Jesus was saying, Bartimaeus, I love you. And he followed him. Zacchaeus must have thought when Jesus stopped at the bottom of his tree, he must have thought when Jesus looked up, he's going to destroy me. Jesus said, fall so low that God won't love you. Just recently, I was reading a quote by Betsy Ten Boom. Some of you might have read The Hiding Place written by her sister, Corrie Ten Boom. Beautiful book. And uh, Betsy and Corrie were sent to Ravenswood concentration camp because their father had been hiding Jews in his house in, in Holland, in Amsterdam, I think. And the, they got betrayed by a local policeman. Oh, thank you so much. In old-fashioned churches, they used to have water for the preacher, but I always forget to take a bottle with me. They got, um, they got arrested and they got sent into concentration camp. And Betsy actually died in the concentration camp. But as she lay dying, she took hold of her sister's hand and she said, Corrie, we've got to tell the people. And Corrie said, what do we have to tell the people? We have to tell the people, Betsy said, what we have learned in this place. 
There is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. There is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. Now, some of you might be struggling with stuff. None of us knows what's going on in, inside of the other. Some of us struggle with, with deep things. Some of us may outwardly look fine, but inwardly we might be in a deep pit. Let me tell you, there is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. You know, the only person who went into a pit deeper than God's love was Jesus. The only person ever abandoned by God was Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross and he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He descended into the pit of hell and nobody was beneath him. He took upon himself the punishment of death and hell so that we would never be in a pit that was deeper than his love. Let me finish with a beautiful passage from Ephesians chapter 3. And it's part of a prayer. And I love this prayer because it, it just tells us how incredibly deep and wide and high is the love of God. And Paul in Ephesians chapter 3 prays this. He says in verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. They're deliberate words. You cannot ever fall lower than the love of Jesus. Romans 8, for I am convinced, verse 38, that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whether you're a son of filth begging outside the city, whether you're a corrupt, traitorous businessman, whether you're a St. Kilda drug addict, nothing can separate you from the love of God. You cannot fall beneath the everlasting arms of our Father because of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're just so amazed every time as we read the Gospels and we see how you went out of your way to bless and answer the prayers of those who were the lowest of the low, whose hearts were broken, who were rejected, who felt that nobody could possibly love them. And yet you did. And you love each one of us. Lord, you love each one of us. None of us can ever sink deeper than your love. Your arms will always be underneath us, ready to catch us. There is nothing that can separate us from your love. Lord, the enemy will whisper in our hearts that we've done things that make us unlovable. And will tell us that we are unlovable, that nobody likes us, that God doesn't like us, but it's a lie. 
So, Lord Jesus, just touch our hearts with that irreplaceable knowledge, that, that deep knowledge that nothing will ever separate us from your love, that nothing is so low as your love. You are lower than the deepest pit we might fall into. And we just thank you, Jesus, and bless us, Jesus. We pray in your precious name. Amen.